If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, beautiful people. Welcome to God is Gray, the podcast. Although I, as a Christian, believe that God resides in absolute truth, in black and white, we as people are stuck here on planet Earth contending with the gray. In church, gray areas often cause dissension, anger, and even hate. But on this platform, I welcome open dialogue, variety of opinion, and differing belief systems. God is Gray is meant to teach, inform, and simply trade stories with kindness, love, and mutual respect. If you have a story or perspective to share, please reach me, Brenda Marie Davies, at GodIsGrayXO at gmail.com. To support the cause and be a part of our community, donate to patreon.com slash gray. Now, on to the episode. Hi, beautiful people. Today I have one of my social media besties, Blair from Talk Purity to Me. She has a wonderful Instagram and TikTok devoted to dismantling and destroying purity culture, which is so desperately needed. Um... I think all of you would really, really enjoy her content if you followed it because I think it creates a good space to just recognize the harmful messages that we've received and it gives us a little bit of ability to push back and laugh um, even though it's so, so, so horrific some of the things that she posts on these social media platforms. But there are things that a lot of us from purity culture, if not all of us from purity culture, are accustomed to. We're used to seeing weird memes about how slutty our spaghetti straps are or, you know, how we have to wait for marriage and our dad owns our body and just all of these terrible things. So I highly recommend following at Talk Purity to me, which is also a brilliant title. Blair, how did you come up with that title? I was racking my brain I was just like what do I call this account you know I like I wanted to talk about these traumatic things but also like you said bring a little levity to it because you know sometimes you just need to laugh you need to just laugh at purity culture um and I just it just really popped into my head I don't know why or how it just talked purity to me just popped into my head and I was like that's it. That's, <laughs> even if nobody else thinks this is funny, I think it's funny. And this is what I'm going to call my account. <laughs> no, it's perfect. It really speaks to the lightheartedness of such a dreadful and terrible topic. And, and also I love, I love it because it plays into the idea that you're dismantling it. Like you're making a joke about making it sexy which is great. And we can talk about all of that in this conversation because (laughs) a lot of that repression and weird sexual, I don't even know, all of it, baggage that was put on us does bring out kinks and weird things in people and some outright darker perversions as well when we are repressed from what we are naturally born to do and and the way that we're naturally born to express ourselves sexually so today we're going to specifically hopefully keep it light which I think we can about Mr. Jerry Falwell and Pam Stenzel Um, So we'll start with Jerry, but uh, Pam is one of the OG, most toxic, horrifying purity culture teachers ever. Um, I luckily wasn't exposed to her, but I really became more aware of her because she was on John Oliver episode and he was talking trash about her. So that was brilliant. So we both love that these are becoming more, you know, in the zeitgeist of the mainstream culture because purity culture affects a lot of us like Blair I was thinking about 
the imperative that Britney Spears and Jessica Simpson had to be virgins. And it was such a huge scandal when they weren't or when they moved on to another relationship. So to me, that goes to show that this culture permeated everything, including, quote, secular, non-Christian culture. Um, so Jerry Falwell, Blair, do you want to give a little rundown of what happened here? <laughs> So, yes, so, I mean, Jerry, Jerry Falwell, Falwell, I don't know how exactly to say it, but he, you know, he was head honcho at Liberty University, which is a super conservative college in Virginia, and it kind of came to light, and all these photos started coming out, um, you know, that he posted on his Instagram and then deleted of him in some maybe a little borderline situations, very borderline for, or very just out there for Christians, but you know, it was, uh, it was him and another woman who was not immediately, it wasn't immediately obvious who the woman was, but they not had his their, wife, <laughs> not his wife. It was obvious it wasn't his wife. Yeah. But they, you know, she's in a crop top and some short jean shorts and they both have their pants unzipped and you know bellies out and everything and he refers in the post caption um to drinking black water which i mean is very obviously he's holding a glass of wine um you know to most onlookers outside of the christian sort of perspective they're like what's the big deal this is yeah. just funny but it was obviously very scandalous for Christians because um, this is the president of a very conservative university that doesn't allow like premarital sex or anything like even slightly, you know, slightly scandalous looking like that around sex. And it was really interesting to see the fallout there. Yeah. So also beyond that, this is the heir of like this family dynasty of conservative Christianity. His father is Jerry Falwell Sr., who anyone that's interested, look at the moral majority. Jamie Lee Finch talks about the moral majority in her book. You can also find, I believe, John Oliver, maybe Stephen Colbert, like different people talking about it because basically it was an organized group of, I believe, about eight men, like eight white dudes, some insignificant number. They gave themselves this name, the moral majority, which isn't even accurate because it's not a majority. It's a very niche minority of people that had this fundamental crazy lean on Christianity, but they really infuse themselves. And I, I believe they've done nothing but a detriment to our religion because a lot of people discuss if you research even back in the 70s or something, there was a lot of progressive Christianity really on the move. A lot of feminist ideas were being successful, like exactly the kind of movement we're having now with uh, progressive Christianity was happening right before this moral majority kind of pushed back, uh, obviously, these men on, you know, all of these progressive ideas and wanted to stamp it back out again. I'm not going to claim to know what their motivations were. Maybe they were really God-fearing people that got some mixed messages. Like maybe they're not as evil as I feel like they are, but at the end of the day, they got into Ronald Reagan's ear first. And basically you can look this up. It's not a conspiracy theory. Whenever a Republican president agrees to concede to whatever they're doing, same thing like um, who was the conservative person on the ticket aside from Donald Trump? Um, Mark Rubio or something? Like someone was actually a yeah. God-fearing conservative Christian. And, um, and Jerry Falwell Jr. decided to back Donald Trump, for whatever reason, we can make guesses about what would have motivated that. But basically, the moral majority gets to say, whoever will hold up a Bible publicly, whoever will say we're anti-LGBTQ rights and pro-life, we will give you the evangelical vote. And then the Falwells have a ton of power 
in the nationwide conversation of conservatism, like they also align with all of these other really powerful evangelical pastors. And then when they send out word, we're voting for Reagan, we're voting for Bush, we're voting for Trump, everybody is supposed to fall in line. And it's, it's fascinating because it trickles down to your average 15 year old girl on TikTok who now thinks that, you know, President Trump is Jesus incarnate because this guy who's a cuckolder and <laughs> has his pants down drinking black water has told you that this is God's choice for a president. Am I being conspiratorial or is that a decent breakdown of what's happening? <laughs> no, I don't think so at all. I mean, there's obviously this moral majority is whatever their other motivations are. The main motivation seems to be to keep power and keep it where they want it. And yeah, you know, there's a lot of like old rich white men who are, have obviously been very successful in keeping that power exactly where they want it. Mm -hmm. So no, I don't think it's a conspiracy theory at all. I think we see it play out every single day in our country. Yeah. I mean, if you, for me, it's like logical. It's like, I, I'm not, never one to say who is or isn't a Christian. Uh, obviously we as progressives have to be anti-gatekeeping, even when it's on the other side, we can't be gatekeepers of super conservative fundamentalists either. Like we all have a right to express our belief in God, however it resonates with us, whatever point in our life we're on. The Bible talks a million times about the grace we are to have with each other on our journeys. So we as progressives have to grant that same grace to others that drive us crazy as we drive them crazy. But, you know, why would Donald Trump hold the Bible? I'm not going to say he's not a Christian, but for the love of God, are we <laughs> sure that he is? I mean, if it walks like a duck and talks like a duck, and in this case, the duck is like a dude that doesn't care about religion, you know, then that's fine. That would be his prerogative. To me, the reason he holds that Bible is because of the Thalwells and the moral majority saying, if you say you believe this, if you stand behind these principles, we will give you the evangelical vote. And it's really mm -hmm. successful. It works. It does. It really does. They absolutely know what they're doing. So. Mm -hmm. So I have been fascinated to learn, like I am um, a sex educator and I want to continue learning more and more about that. I love it. But one of the main things I've learned is that our kinks really develop before the age of six years old, I believe, if not eight years old. There are these really, really fundamental things in our personality. Like I remember like the smell of old spice or a leather jacket will turn me on and I'm like not to be gross but that's like the way my my brother my older brother and my uncle dressed they were like these bad boys that always wore leather jackets and a lot of colognes so they're like these formative experiences that you have um even with foot fetishes I believe the correlation with that is like the neural pathway in your brain with like eroticism is also connected very closely to feet or something i would need to be like double checked on that but point That's being like kinks are normal i i think it's almost not fair the term kink is fine but at the same time i think kink has a salaciousness that maybe isn't even appropriate when mm -hmm. in reality the vast majority of us share a lot of the same kinks like a foot fetish or like these little weird things that turn you on that make you feel strange are actually normal. Totally. And I think, you know, people have been really kinky and into really weird things forever. It's <laughs> not, you know, it's not a new thing. People have been into some really weird stuff when it comes to sex and pleasure for as long as there've been people. And there's, yeah, there's, it's, not helpful to try to, you know, make it like a deviant sort of thing. It's, it's not deviant. It's actually the norm to have these sort of, you know, things that might seem a little, little off to some people, but it's like normal for others. So yeah, yeah I, for sure. I think with 
Christianity makes things so much more unnecessarily complicated than it needs to be. Like, for me, I think it's very interesting that I was introduced to purity culture. The first time I was told that God cries when you masturbate, I was 12 years old. And I'm pretty open about the fact that I've been masturbating since I was around, I think five is my earliest memory. So it's possible that I was doing it before then. So when people talk about, oh, you know, masturbation is wrong as an example, because you feel that conviction afterwards, you know, it's wrong. I very easily push back against that because I'm like, no, from around five years old to 11 and a half, I never felt, quote, conviction. I never felt shame. My parents never shamed me for that. And um, it was really the shame that you feel. I think there are definitely moments where you can feel conviction. And I don't want to alienate anyone with that term either. And I'd love to hear your take on this too, Blair. But like, I think a lot of people have this misconception that if you let go of this specific set of rules about your sexuality that you're given through purity culture, that you're all of a sudden going to be completely out of control with no moral compass, and you're not going to be able to gauge what kind of sexuality is appropriate or right or safe or healthy for you. And you know, me coming out and saying all sexualities are okay as long as there's consent, I'm sure is controversial because I'm supposed to say one man, one woman, or even one woman, one woman, one man, one man. But in the case of Jerry, this guy had a fetish for watching other men have sex with his wife. Uh, allegedly, he actually passed the blame to her and they called it an affair. But I've been hearing about him, which is called cuckolding, and I've been hearing about him as a cuckolder forever. But what do you think about this concept that if you don't have these black and white purity culture rules, that you'll just completely lose it and not have any moral compass to tell what's right and what's wrong? Yeah, I think that one's really common. You know, people say that for people who left the church because of their rules about sex or you know, people who reject purity culture, the dissenters, the fundamentalist Christians will often say, well, you just, you just want to sin, or you just want to go off and do all these, again, like the deviant, the idea that everyone who leaves purity culture is like a sexual deviant. I'm putting air quotes around that (laughs) big time, but, um, you know, it's really, it's really weird to me just because you know, I reject purity culture in its entirety. However, I have been dating the same person for four and a half years. It's a very, I would describe myself as like very vanilla in terms of my own preferences, you know? I, and that's okay. Like, I, just because I am very open to what other people want to do, it doesn't mean that I have you know, swung the door wide open on everything that I want to do in my own life. And I, I think that that's a huge misconception because it's kind of like the black and white of, well, if you're okay with this for other people, this must be what you want to do in your own life. Yeah. And I think that Christians get that way wrong. You know, they think that just because they affirm, you know, gay people that that must mean that they would go, you know, they have to be okay with being gay and, you know, they have to feel like they're gay, you know, like, I might not be explaining that super well, but it's like, you can affirm what other people do as adults in consenting relationships. That doesn't mean that you have to now want to do all of those things. Exactly. I think too, one complication that I'll acknowledge as a reality is that because I come from this background, as a lot of us do, I recognize that the most difficult part of affirming LGBTQ people for me was this fear-based narrative that they were gonna go to hell. And therefore my comfortability with it, my saying, hey, I love you and I'm also okay with what you're doing could risk their eternal salvation. So I think it's, it's traumatizing, obviously, very much so for a lot of LGBTQ people. However, 
it is coming from this warped, deranged version of love for a lot of fundamentalist or evangelical people. Because I know mm-hmm. that's where it was coming from me. But in the case of someone like Jerry, and I've seen it with a lot of people, I call it in my own life, um, the pendulum. Um, and I write about it in my book, which is available on Amazon. <laughs> on Her Knees by Brenda Marie Davies. But yeah, I talk about the pendulum, which to me was, I felt like I was really repressed up on one side, being perfect, perfect, perfect. Say no, 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 wear a white dress, say yes, and have a million orgasms. And when that narrative didn't work out or proved to not be real for my life, because things, life is just messier than that, um, I swung all the way to the other side. It didn't create this healthy sexual ethic where... I was able to hear myself. And I think that's the biggest problem. Like to me, you know, and it's not fair to figure out what is going on in Jerry's head or his wife's head, but like a lot of times when people swing to the other side, that means shutting off everything. Like, cause you not only have to shut off your faith, but now you're also shutting off figuring out what's right and wrong in that situation because you consider it all wrong. Because for me, I'm like, well, premarital sex is wrong. So therefore, anytime I have premarital sex, I'm doing the wrong thing. So therefore, I wasn't paying attention to the enthusiastic consent of my partner or how my body was responding to them positively or negatively. I would say for me, it gave me much less of an ability to actually gauge a a healthy sexual ethic than now, which is me affirming all consenting adults doing whatever on earth they want. Because for me, it's just so much less healthy emotionally, sexually, spiritually, all of it to abstain, like to be grasping so hard to try to be in this box as this perfect thing. If you have a certain kink and you're denying yourself that it really can be tormentative. Absolutely. I, you know, it, it does just make me think back to, you know, where I was 10 years ago and just thinking of how I felt like I had to control every single part of how I thought, acted, you know, responded around sex and relationships to the point where, I mean, the first time I ever held hands with a guy I cried like uncontrollably because I thought I had like cheated on my future husband you know it's to think back to how just unnecessary it is to that that I went through that you know that didn't need to happen I did like that should have been something that was like enjoyable you know Mm. and almost I mean, so many of my, like, first experiences in relationships and things like that were really traumatizing (laughs) because I, you know, and and I just think back to, I mean, so many people go through the same thing I did, and I just think how, how damaging it is that many of our lives were, you know, years of our lives were stolen, and years of, like, good experiences we should have been able to enjoy were stolen because of these ideas that we constantly had to be on one side of, you know, the very rigid side of what sexuality is and what it has to look like. So this brings us to Miss Pam Stenzel. Um, There were so many blatant lies we were told about our sexuality. I think it's one thing to tell people how to have a sexual ethic or what you believe a sexual ethic should look like. For example, you know, if you are a very conservative person who wants your children to abstain until marriage, I think there is not enough acknowledgement, first of all, that unfortunately, whether or not you want there to be, your child has control and autonomy over their own body especially when they're out of your house and they're 18 and they've moved on with their life, you cannot be policing and controlling everything your kid does. Furthermore, all statistics show that it's not possible to do that anyway. If anything, they'll just engage in more risky behavior. Like if they're having sex with their boyfriends and you have 
taught them abstinence only their whole life and give them all these lies about sexuality, they are statistically more likely to get STDs, to experience unwanted pregnancies, and even to have abortions, which is what my video is about this week, uh, just about how the statistic is like, I think it varies a bit, but usually it's around the 50% mark of abortion clients that identify as Christian. So to me, a huge part of that is simply a lack of education and a lack of a realistic attitude about the fact that people do have personal autonomy, even when they're your children. So all of that said, Pam and people like her were the worst because not only did they try to force, I wouldn't even call it an ethic. It's not an ethic. It's a, it's a list of one rule really which is save yourself to marriage or else and your else was basically like in mean girls like you will get pregnant and die <laughs> here have some condoms like she was i mean let's go through some of her lies because i can remember a few i'm sure you're even more fresh in it <laughs> like one of her lies is just about the danger of birth control, I'm anti the pill actually, just because it had, just for me personally, it just had a negative effect on my body. I didn't enjoy taking it, mm -hmm. but you cannot across the board tell a lie that you're going to die or they're going to suffer all these definite health problems if you have it. Like, why can you not be fact-based while you're fear-mongering? I mean, you can be fear-mongering and fact-based at the same time <laughs> if you really need to do it that way. Yeah, one of the things she says is um, that she apparently has all these experiences where young girls will come up to her and, you know, they'll share about how they told their mom they were having sex and their mom put them on the pill. And then Pam says, and now that girl is 10 times more likely to contract an STD. I don't under, like you said, I don't understand what the point of just pulling it out of thin air is why you know why not cite some kind of something about STIs or like I don't know it's but but she always leaves it with you know she says if you have more than one partner you know if you have sex with someone who's also had sex with someone else you will pay that's what she says she doesn't she doesn't do anything other than put this big emotional statement out there about having sex with more than one person. There's yeah. no, you know, having multiple partners leads to X, Y, Z. It's just, you will pay. <laughs> That's all she says. So it's obvious it's just an emotionally loaded thing that she's trying to basically scare these kids. I mean, they are kids she's talking to into yeah. not having sex not empowering them with any information about sex, just only trying to scare them. <laughs> right. It's, oh. it's also terrible. There's so many pastors and quote sex educators, abstinence only educators who say that things like condoms are not effective, like condoms don't actually protect you. And I'm like, F you, because actually what you're not realizing is that just leads to kids not using condoms because it's like, okay, well, if the condom isn't effective, it feels way better without one anyway. And second of all, like if the risk is no different, then why would you wear a condom? They're expensive. Also, if you're a teenager, like I think $20 for a package of condoms can be astronomical to some young people, which is why a lot of parents do buy their kids condoms because it's not an easy thing to grab, you know? And People need to realize that when people are empowered with education, all statistics show, again, that those children will, not children, teens or whatever, like in sexually active age, will actually abstain from sex on an average of two years after their abstinence-only, you know, partners or whatever, kids in their class that have, like, given that have received all these falsities about sexuality. Because all education does is help you exercise your intellect and you can add spirituality to it too. Like I wanna be a sex educator who is always noting the spiritual element of things. To me, you don't have to believe 
in Jesus, or you don't have to ascribe this particular name to whatever kind of spirituality you practice, but you can still engage those elements of yourself that are beyond just the intellectual fact-based education that you're receiving. So you can tell kids, hey, condoms are 98% effective, I think it is, um, or maybe 98.9. And also, it really hurts when you have sex with someone and then the next day you see them at school kissing someone else in the hallway. Has anyone had that experience? Do you guys want to talk about how that affects you? emotionally if it does make you feel less worthwhile sexually because you feel taken advantage of like we could have these conversations without infusing fear that would just empower kids to make really good decisions for themselves and also leave ourselves as open doors i think blair i don't know if you've experienced this but i remember when i first started engaging in sexuality like the first time I let a guy go down on me the first time I had sex. I was shocked that I didn't feel hellfire and brimstone and God's hatred. I was like waiting for it. And I was kind of sitting there like, wait, when's this damning conviction going to come to tell me I've just ruined my life? (laughs) Yeah, I think it was like the thing that kind of, blew me away was that I mean I'm not gonna like it it was you know it's great it's wonderful but it wasn't like I didn't feel like a huge like you said a lightning bolt moment or anything like that it just felt very natural and just totally I don't know it just it didn't have the huge emotional impact for me that I was always told it would Mm -hmm. which was good in a way because you know it it doesn't have to be you know your sexuality is just one element of yourself it doesn't have to be the defining element of yourself you know it, it was validating that all the things I had always heard about it in church were not true and just like I thought, you know, yep. at that point. So, so yeah, it was really interesting. Like, and kind of going back to like what you were saying with how disempowering it is not to educate um, kids and young teens about sex. You know, I've had people come to me and say they knew they were going to have sex with someone, but they didn't buy condoms because in their minds, that was their premeditation of sin. Uh And it just broke my heart because they're putting themselves at more risk for no reason, for only fear. That's the only reason. They're just afraid, you know, and it was more justifiable for them to say they got caught up in the moment, you know, Mm -hmm. type of a thing than that they were responsible and they tried to plan and tried to protect themselves and their partner. And that kind of thing is like, this is why it's so important to talk about it openly. And, you know, I do know parents who have a container of condoms in the bathroom that, you know, their child can just grab anytime. And it's like, it doesn't just for that safety factor, you know, because if you, if you know, there's ways that someone can protect themselves, you know, especially your children, you should empower them to be able to take advantage of those, you know, safer sex practices. I also know people from like sex positive households who have laughed about how their mom bought them condoms at 15 and they were like, but I never used them until I was 18 and a half or something, or like they, didn't feel pressure, but they just thought it was funny. Like, oh, I was such a dork. I was so pathetic. I wasn't actually getting laid. But like, to that point, just acknowledging that just because you give your child, again, I keep saying child, but you know, your offspring that is of an appropriate age, um, Mm -hmm. the tools to protect themselves, it doesn't mean they're like, oh, now I have this. Now I have to go out and have sex. To the contrary, the people I've talked to, it just makes them consider it even more deeply. And just knowing it's an option on the table gives them that pause to be like, 
I'm not ready for this. Uh, and, and when you have honest conversations in your household too, you know, one of the main things that I've been learning as a sex educator that I would love to empower parents with is that your teens will be finding this information. They will find it through pornography and Google searches, and you are not going to be able to control whether or not the information they're receiving is accurate. And if it's porn, it's already baseline not accurate. Um, like most of the free porn that's available is incredibly misogynistic, sexist, racist. There's a lot of problems with mainstream pornography, especially just especially just page one of Pornhub. Like every time mm. I go to Pornhub just to like see what's new, it's like, oh, cool. Gaping holes, women that are not in pleasure. Like it's, it's a terrible education and you cannot stop your child from looking at that. You cannot stop them from stumbling into it. I keep telling this story too. I have a friend who had an eight-year-old that Googled boobs. Like she went into his bedroom door open, like they had a door open policy. They had a, you know, open conversations about things, but him and his friend were like in this little tent giggling. And she went in, they were watching a gangbang scene on Pornhub. And when she invest, which she's heartbroken, obviously like weeping about it, she investigated it and was like, how did you get there? And they literally typed boobs. And one of the first things that came up was Pornhub. And then one of the first pages of Pornhub is violent and crazy and like all these other things so and trust me i'm not shaming anyone for any sort of sexual preferences i'm just saying that as a baseline sex education the front page of pornhub is not your should not be your go-to but if you're a parent who is actively keeping this education from your child they will seek it out we're naturally curious especially naturally curious about something that we were born to do. Asexuality exists, but that is a minority um, from what I understand. So the vast majority of us are going to be seeking out what is sex as young as eight years old, Googling boobs. So mm -hmm. what's, what's your defense to that? It's not to have Pam Stenzel scream at your children for an hour. <laughs> Seriously. And, you know, I know you've talked about Pam in the past. Um, I've started trying to have some conversations about her content and, you know, her whole tour circuit. It seems like she spoke at every Catholic high school in the country. Um, but I heard she was at some, like, non-Christian schools as well. I'm a sure of, she was. Yeah, a lot of these purity culture teachers in, this, in the wave of True Love Waits in the 80s and 90s were actually invited because a lot of schools in America, we don't have nationwide comprehensive sex education. And there's places that don't even have laws that it has to be fact-based and it can have a religious swing, which means abstinence only. So all of that said, I think a lot of schools were like, oh shit, we don't have any way of teaching these kids about sex. This woman says she'll come in and teach them about it. And I think a lot of parents would like to live in some fairy tale land where if a woman yells at your kid for an hour, they'll make it really empowering good decisions about their sexuality. But it just simply does not work that way as seen in so many of us. I mean, what kind of comments have you, you basically just had a very successful Pam Stenzel TikTok go down. And I see there's like already over 700 comments on it. What are some of the commenters saying about the way her messages landed on their ears? So many people are talking about how seeing my video um, just reminds them of how traumatic um, mm. their experience with Pam is. Um, some of the things that people are saying is, you know, when Pam came to their school she told the girls they shouldn't give it up for a Chick-fil-A sandwich. That was one of the comments that really just was mind-blowing to me. Um, other people just That's talking. Like you can't, like if a guy buys you dinner, it doesn't mean you're having sex with them. <laughs> what does that even mean? I, I kind of took it as like, yeah, like maybe something like that or that, you know, don't use guys or I don't, it was like, that was just kind of it. Like, don't give it up for a Chick-fil-A sandwich. That's how Pam, like, Well, how about a filet mignon? Then can you give it up? 
Right. <laughs> like, what's the level? But... <laughs> a, a car. Like, what's up? <laughs> Seriously. Um, oh, that's stupid. That doesn't even make sense. And then another one was, um, oh, what was it? I just had it in my head. Um, hold on. It'll come to me. Oh, this was, so Pam came to some church and during the talk, two girls passed out, like during her purity talk. I'm assuming just because it was so intense, you know, Um, you go from probably all of the people in the room, I would assume had little to no experience even having a conversation about sex and then Pam Stenzel gets up and yells at them keep your pants on or what you know all of her classic one-liners um and yeah like people were telling stories about how people passed out during her talks and to me that just shows you know what would be the takeaway for those people you know who had such a overwhelming reaction I mean they probably would be so traumatized from yeah. that it, it was just really it was really upsetting. the implication of that is actually insane like you pass out because you become like I mean I don't know exactly how it works but I feel like you pass out when you're either experiencing so much pain that it overwhelms your body and it just shuts down I've I've rarely heard about people passing out emotionally and that I that level of trauma holy moly also the amount of people that have been sexually assaulted or molested those numbers are disturbingly high so the fact that so many to all of these purity teachers as recently as Mike Todd who I just made a video about you know, they all wear their like cool leather jackets and even Pam Stell is arguably not at all cool, but she definitely like having an adult come in and be like, we're going to talk about sex. And like Mike Todd did the same thing. Like you've never heard sex in church. And I was like, dude, you haven't been to my past 20 years of church. It's all you guys talk about. You are not clever. You're not saying something new. As a matter of fact, you're spouting the same toxic BS that we've all been trying to crawl our way out of for decades but they all have this cool presentation and, you know, I'm saying something new and I have not until the Me Too movement, I guess, actually heard any pastor acknowledge, oh, this might land not so well on the ears of assault victims. You know, if you go to a school and you say you're inherently less valuable, Mike Todd says you can't achieve your dreams, like, bless your heart which is how southern people say f you like my goodness that's that's just infuriating you know it's it's so so bad it really is I mean with like I'm sure you've heard a lot of stories with your account on Instagram I mean I get dms all the time people talking about you know they were assaulted by someone and they went to someone in their church to talk about it and they were you know asked what part they had in their own assault like what part of it was their fault or you know women who stumbling blocks yeah like women who married their abusers like their Mm. sexual abusers because to like redeem that yeah yeah and like elizabeth smart who was that young woman from utah talks about how kind of like spiritually and emotionally like after she was abducted she pretty much just gave up and didn't try to get away because she was assaulted by her captors and she just thought she wasn't worth anything anymore yeah I mean yeah she was given that narrative of you'll be a chewed up piece of gum and it's so heartbreaking I cry every time I see it Again, I I pulled the clip for the Mike Todd talk because I really do want these teachers, you know, my prayer is that they'll watch and they'll listen to us, you know, like, again, in this progressive Christian space, we're all accused of just, and not everyone's progressive Christian. Some people have just deconstructed and are staying there. And I respect that as well. 
but mm -hmm. there's not enough acknowledgement of like, no, we're not just flippantly walking away from this because we feel like it. We've just been, and it's also not, oh, I have a chip on my shoulder and I just hate church because they did these things to me. It's, it's exactly these things like, hey, I've been exposed to seeing a girl who was, I think, 12 or 13 years old, abducted from her house, told she'd be a chewed up piece of gum, gets constantly assaulted during her captive time, and then does like TED Talks about how she believes she was worthless. You need to listen to those. You need to listen to us, y'all. We're not just trying to destroy the world through our Jezebel sexuality. <laughs> There's really so much validity to this. And again, it, it goes back to Jerry. The people imparting these messages are not any different than the people receiving these messages. I interviewed, um, oh no, now I'm blanking on his name. I interviewed a pastor who is great, who now I'm blanking on his name. But he was talking about how he was a youth pastor and he um, was giving these messages and at the same time having so much internal conflict over whether or not what he was saying was true or accurate or helpful or destructive because he was, you know, a lot of these people see the destruction in their own lives and it's undeniable when you experience it. And it's the same thing I don't know. The Falwell thing is a whole beast because he's got so much nepotism behind him. He is rich as hell. Um, so he is kind of like above all reproach. Like I could have judgmental feelings about him. I just realized the pastor I'm talking about is Bradley Onishi uh, from Straight White American Jesus. But, um, but yeah, with Jerry, like these people imparting these messages, we have to consider as those receiving them or have received them. For me, it gives me, it makes me desire to give grace and love and forgiveness to people when I realize my youth pastor who shamed me because she could see my nipple in my shirt, which I wasn't even thinking about it. Like, that's another thing about purity culture. They make you a sexual being before you're actually presenting in a sexually a sexual way you know just because you are attracted or because you find someone sexy does not mean that they were actually presenting that way do you know what mm -hmm. i mean yeah like, for girls to be told oh you wore spaghetti straps and therefore that's why you had something to play in this it's like no just because you found her sexy doesn't mean she was giving sensuality to you and that's the same reason enthusiastic consent is such an exciting concept to me because it's like they're not just getting oh she wore spaghetti straps therefore she must be a sexual being it's like no unless you're getting enthusiastic yes that, that may have nothing to do with anything sexual this is just a girl being oblivious um kind of went off a tangent but my this pastor shamed me because she could see my nipples peeking through because i didn't know that i was timed to wear a bra i wasn't thinking about it and 10 years later, I was at a coffee shop with her and she apologized to me for so many things and told me that our youth pastor, her husband, was cheating on her constantly. And she was being brought to the church office, um, schooled and taught how to forgive him and how to have grace for him and sent to Christian counseling on how to heal their marriage. And mm. all of that said, the people imparting these messages are not any better than you, are not any different than you. They are likely having the same struggles as you, as mm -hmm. shown by Jerry Falwell. These people are not practicing what they preach. And oftentimes, in my experience, they're actually doing things that are much worse than what they're telling you not to do. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I feel like the story of, you know, the the man who gets up in the pulpit and yells about gay people and then later is found to be, you know, engaging with other men and having sex with other men. I mean, I obviously have no shame for gay, you know, I'm not trying to shame gay people, but I mean, there's obviously hypocrisy there for him to shame gay people and then at the same time be having sex with men i mean it, yeah and then you know he'll be ex you know 
sometimes they'll be excused, you know, as, you know, he fell into sin. But the woman who decides to have sex with her boyfriend is, you know, labeled as a Jezebel and, you know, basically just shunned forever. Yeah. It's just the hypocrisy. It's the hypocrisy for me that is the most upsetting because I do not care what Jerry Falwell does in his own bedroom with his own partners whether it be his wife or any other people I don't care yeah it's the hypocrisy and the way that he has hurt so many people through you know all of the strict rules that liberty has and you know the way his political involvement has hurt LGBT people um, through American policy that's the part that is like so upsetting to me (laughs) No, that's so true. If I were to hear about any politician being a cuckolder, it's like it's an entertaining, interesting story. It, it, if anything, normalizes some kinks that people are uncomfortable with. But you're right. In this case, it's really hard to just not throw a middle finger up at him because, like you said, he's been doing actively so much damage to other people's sexuality actively like creating and instigating policies that are hurting other people while having the audacity to go on a yacht and pull his pants down and drink wine and try to lie and pretend that it's not like oh gosh thou shall not judge thou shall not judge (laughs) and there's this other story that came out about his wife um, whose name I am blanking on. I think it might be Rebecca or Becca. I, I don't know. Sounds right. I forget um, though, too. But uh, a man who's now in his 30s, you know, he was a Liberty University student and somehow got connected with a band that he was playing in that rehearsed at the Falwell Estate there in Virginia. And she it appears, I mean, there's the whole power imbalance there, but it appears that, you know, she coerced him into a sexual relationship, and he's only just now, you know, felt empowered to talk about it because of everything that's coming out, and I mean, of course, you know, we're, we're hearing about these stories as more people are coming forward, but it's, you know, that to me is like she was using her power and her name and her status and doing active harm to this young person. And that was, to me, was really mind-blowing. Yeah. I have, you know, there's recently the whole scandal about whether or not um, Jada and Will Smith are in an open relationship. Did you hear about Mm -hmm. that? Yeah. Yeah. Like, this dynamic exists and whatever your moral stance, again, consenting adults to me can do whatever they want. You're allowed to have a religious lean that thinks differently, but totally, it really doesn't harm you. Like, even if you're scared, people are going to go to hell for whatever kinky lean they have. Like it still is not your problem and you don't have to like parade around about it. But to your point about the gay person that is, so against homosexuality on a pulpit you know a lot of that is just the internalized shame that we're outputting onto other people and Mm -hmm. you know I was always the most vocal about sex because sex was always my largest fascination so I was one of these people that it was like I'll never support anyone that had an abortion I'll never you know have sex for marriage I'll never do all of these other things and I found myself doing almost everything that I always said that I would never do um, cause it's like, you're denying what's actually inside of you. And at the same time, not giving a healthy way to practice it. I think what you're saying about the guy being coerced by Mrs. Falwell is that I can't imagine the trauma or the confusion of knowing these people's reputation. Like it's one mm-hmm. thing if you're going to a really sex positive household. I mean, I don't want to accuse Jade and Will of this because I think their claim is that they're not, um, let's say Becky and Tom are, you know, in an open relationship and they enjoy cuckolding and they have all of these kinks. It would be one thing if they had a sex positive 
podcast and they were interviewing other people about it and they were very open about their leans and very open about how they felt about it intellectually, spiritually, emotionally. And they were inviting people into that scenario with all of that consent and all of that education and, and all of that lack of shame because I truly mm -hmm. believe shame is our greatest enemy, especially in the bedroom, shame and fear, which is what we've been building these sexual ethics on. Um, and then the reverse of that, you know, I feel like someone coming into a three-way scenario in that situation could hopefully make their own decisions, could feel like they were consenting in it, that they wanted to be there. But if the foul wells are just openly sex negative and are saying they're all these other things that they're not, how's that person even supposed to feel comfortable engaging in a, in a sexual relationship that is that kinky with them? Are they still believing they're going to go to hell for it? Do Jerry and his wife have moral qualms about it that they're also internalizing or outputting to you? Like, I don't know how you can have a relationship like that in the midst of so much sex negativity and actually create a dynamic that's healthy. Yeah, it's one of those things where, you know, people who... People who really were a part of the purity culture teaching that really harmed me, you know, I, I do think there's a healthy level of, you know, it's okay to be upset and angry even about what those people did. And, and I think that's part of healing is, okay, I can recognize that what this person did really hurt me and I can be upset with them. I can be angry with them. I can express that anger in a healthy way. Um, and then also realizing that for a lot of people, they were acting out of their own trauma around sex too. Mm -hmm. So it's like, to me, neither one is, you know, in conflict with the other. It, it's hard in this sphere to sometimes decide who's a villain, you know, because while, yes, I think there's huge need for accountability for these people, these pastors, these Christian thought leaders to own up to what they've done that has caused so much harm. On the other hand, you also have to recognize, um, you know, if, if, I if I had a platform as big as they do, um, and I was still in that space, I mean, I would probably be doing the same thing. Yeah, me you know? too. Me too. So. Yeah, I know. That's why it's, it's definitely become much easier for me to not have any judgment on all of these young people that are, I think it's, it's, it is harder for me when I see people that are in more power positions. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, I'm not going to deny that I have difficulty not getting really angry and not wanting to <laughs> react. Oh yeah, I'll out of argue with them all day. Sorry. Well, no, for sure. I mean, and, and yeah. that's worth it. And I think that, you know, someone recently said, I don't know, I was just, I felt challenged on like my approach to things, I guess. And I was thinking about it and I'm like, no, these, you do, do you have to challenge things. You challenge them out of love is the key, mm -hmm. but you cannot, often let them just sit there, especially if you have a voice or a platform in which to say something. Like for you, like, you know, someone could think that a post of yours is like shaming someone else's belief, but it's like, no, it's not that at all. It's so much deeper. What we're doing is illuminating and trying to help you and everyone else recognize this is actually a really dangerous thing to say. You know, it's not mm -hmm. just you're not taking posts from girls that are like, I'm saving myself for marriage. And I'm happy about it. Like, no, you are more than welcome to do that. That is, that can be very much so a part of a healthy sexual ethic, choosing to abstain until marriage. But these notions of your value being wrapped around how many partners you've had, like mm -hmm. all of these toxic ideas about what's right and wrong. The fact that marriage is immediate and indefinite consent from a wife gender ideas of who desires more, who desires less, like those all need to die. That's why I say mm -hmm. RIP purity culture, because it's not, it's not taking the good and, and getting rid of the bad. It has a 
rotten foundation. It has mm-hmm. root rot and it needs to just be ripped out in my opinion and create something genuinely healthy, which I attribute to you doing in a very humorous, positive way. Thank you. Yeah, I really appreciate that. And, you know, that's kind of been my whole goal from the beginning is um, I really like to start conversations about it. Um, I'm very careful about what I choose to post. But, you know, as long as people um, like Girl Defined, Biblical Gender Roles, Lori Alexander, all of these people, as long as they have platforms, I will be on the internet talking Mm -hmm. about this. Yeah. You know, Mm -hmm. because we can't just let what they say sit there. We have to, you know, offer an environment where people can talk about it in a healthy way. Because, I mean, and all of their accounts are way bigger than mine. Um, but that's my whole goal is to, to grow it to the point where people know that, like, my account, your account, so many others are a inviting space. And I've been, I just feel so grateful for the types of people that feel drawn to what I do because there are some really beautiful people who you know, like, sometimes even if I can't get to a comment, you know, I see, like, my followers, like, taking care of each other, and, like, affirming each other in the comments, and that, to me, is, like, the whole goal, and I never, you know, I never want to be tearing people down, I only want to be, like, lifting up positive ideas, because that's part of, like, what has been healing for me, is, you know, you take the bad out, and you replace it with something that is, positive and healthy and that's not to say I never get negative because anyone who actually knows me knows that I can be a little bit of a cynical type of a person (laughs) and I have a little bit of a snarky side you know but I I do think it's important to as long as those negative messages are out there we need to be combating those literally with truth yeah absolutely I love it well, okay, so where can everybody find you? It's just at Talk Purity to Me on Instagram. Same handle on TikTok, right? Same handle on TikTok, yes. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's really fun. Um, I enjoy making content on both platforms. It's a little different on each, you know, because they both have their own little spin or whatever, but it's, it's fun. I love it. All right, well, we love you all so much. God bless. <laughs>